Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, worship team. Thank you for your hard work in leading us. And thank you to the, the team at the back for your hard work. Um, yeah, we're just very blessed, very thankful for everybody doing their part and just being a blessing to this congregation. And I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. If you're joining us for the first time, we just want to welcome you. Uh, you should be able to jump right into this text without knowing some of the details that went before. But if you'd like to know what went before, you can find all of that online. And so if you've got questions, we'd love to talk to you and point you to that. But today we're, we're jumping in. We're in the Apostle Paul's second missionary journey. And as we work our way through this text, one of the things that it's going to address is it's going gonna, it's gonna to touch on one of the I would argue, one of the most frequently asked questions that come up in the church. Uh, so often people will come to me and they'll ask some variation of, how can I discern uh, where God is leading me in my life? And so that, that'll come in different forms, right? Some people will say, you know, how can I discern who I should marry? Or how can I discern uh, what job I should take or where I should move? But these questions, they, they rattle around in our brains. And, and I'm asking the same questions. I think in this last stretch, thinking about Redeemer, um, thinking about just some of the things that God is doing here, I often find myself wondering, like, Lord, what, are, what do we do next? What, sometimes he closes doors that I thought for sure were, were wide open, and then other times uh, there's not just one good option, but there's like five good options, and they all lead in different directions. And you, you find yourself wondering, like, what do, I, what do I do? We don't want to rush ahead of ourselves. We want to follow the Lord. But how do we follow the Lord as he leads us. What does that look like? Maybe, maybe some of you here today are asking that very question in one form of your life or another. Well, here in this passage, we find a, a powerful example of the Apostle Paul, and he's following God's guidance in his ministry. And so there's lots of valuable lessons for us to see here today. I want to invite you to look with me now. We're looking at Acts 16, and we're going to read verse 6 all the way to the end of verse 15. Hear now God's holy, inspired, inerrant living an active word to us today. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they'd come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And we remained in this city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down, and we spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the town of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, Come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now there's lots that we're going to draw from this story. Now maybe you're here and you're saying, hey, you said this is about how God leads us and uh, with all the different problems I have. And here Paul has this 
miraculous vision, and the problem is I want a miraculous vision, right? If I had a miraculous vision, I'd get a better understanding of where God was leading me. And I would say, just, just wait, just watch, just listen. Okay, there are some valuable lessons for us here. And as we make our way through this passage, one of the things that jumps out, a big overarching theme, is that the Apostle Paul, with all of his giftedness, with all of his apostolic authority, was himself a man under authority. As you read this story, it's striking that when when Jesus says stop, Paul stops. When Jesus says go, Paul goes. When Jesus directs, he follows because ultimately the Apostle Paul knows that this mission that he's on, even, even though we call it Paul's second mission, it's not Paul's mission. This is Jesus' mission. This is Jesus' mission that he's inviting Paul on. And actually that's a really important distinctive for us today because here's the thing. If this was just Paul's mission, if we were just learning about what Paul did 2,000 years ago, that would be interesting but it would be irrelevant, right? Because the Apostle Paul died. And this missionary journey ended. But because this is not Paul's mission, this is Jesus' mission, this passage is so powerfully relevant for us. Because did you know that today, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're on the same mission? Now, you're not geographically in the same place. God's given some tasks to Paul that he hasn't given to you and I. But we are on the, the same mission, fundamentally, The same spirit is guiding and directing us. We've been given the same assignment. Did you know that? Jesus said, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he said to us, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this assignment that we see Paul embarking on, it didn't end 2,000 years ago. It's it's still in action, and you're on it, Christian. And and if you're a Christian, you've heard this a hundred times before. And I suspect if you're a Christian, you've also lost sight of this a hundred times before. So can I just, can I pull you in before we go any further in this passage? This is your assignment to go and to make disciples, to baptize, to teach them to obey. Your life is for this. Your limited time on earth is for this. And you say, well, I'm a carpenter. Well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a mechanic. Well, I'm a plumber. I, you don't need to be in vocational ministry to be on this assignment. If you're a disciple of Jesus, you're called to be a disciple maker. And we need to see that. We need to know that. And that needs to shape every aspect of our lives. Every aspect of your life should come under this one overarching assignment. One day when this life is over, you're going to stand before the King of Kings. You're going to stand before Jesus. And on that day, he is not going to give a rip about, look at how much money I accumulated, Jesus. Look what I did. Look at my bank account. It grew and grew and grew and grew. That's not going to, that's not going to matter a lick to him. And, and when the other things that are impressive, look at how many stickers I got in my passport. It's not stickers anymore. It's stamps. Look at how many stamps I got in my passport. Look at, look at how far I advanced in my profession, Jesus. When, when you stand before him and you give an account for this life that you've lived, this life that he purchased with his blood, by the way, he's going to ask you what you did with that commission, that assignment. Were you making disciples? Were you, were you pointing people to the hope that you have in this world where people are perishing in their sin? Did you tell them? Did you point them to this gift that, that you've received? And so every aspect of our life needs to fall under that overarching assignment. And I'll just hazard a guess that for us sitting in this room, there are many aspects of our lives that are not falling under the, that big umbrella. You know, your, our finances, our, our schedule, 
where we live, where we work, how we raise our families, every element should come under this. How is this enabling me, furthering me to make disciples and to point them to Jesus? Because that's what my life is about. That's what your life is about. And as we bring everything under that one overarching assignment, in one way, it makes things very simple. Right? I, I, I will just say this. If you go home right now, maybe you're single, you go home on your own, or maybe you go home with your spouse, and you sit down and you say, okay, how is our life, how is every aspect of our life furthering this assignment? I bet if you look at your weekly schedule, a lot of stuff is going to get cut away right away. You just think, this is, this is just time-wasting nonsense. This really does not matter. And I imagine your budget is going to change dramatically. In, in one way, it really simplifies life. But then in another way, it can still be very perplexing. Because sometimes you've got, you know, four good options. You know, where would God have me work? What would God have me do? Where should I start? What do I do? And it's to those questions that I want to direct your attention. Because in this passage, we see the Apostle Paul, and he is, he's simply following God's guidance in ministry. So we're going to look at the text, and we're going to look at it under, under that theme. What does it look like as we follow God's guidance in ministry? The first thing we learn, and I'm going to pull out four lessons from this passage. First, if you want to follow God's guidance in ministry, do the work that God has already called you to do. Or you might frame it differently. You might say, be faithful where you are. So we might be seeking clarity on the where, right? Where would you have me, God? What's the next step? Where should I be? And we might need some clarity on the, on the how. Like, well, should I go about it this way or go about it this way? But one thing that we have perfect clarity on is the what. Go, make disciples, baptize them, teach them to observe all that I've commanded. That's the assignment. Which means we don't need to sit around going, hmm, I wonder what he would have me do. No, he's told you what he would have you do. Right? Which is why if you look at this passage, you look at the Apostle Paul, and he's not sitting around, kind of sitting on his hands like, hmm, I wonder when God will, will speak to me next and send me next. No, he's a man in motion. Paul is, wherever he is, he is faithfully working at the assignment that he has been given. Now, sometimes God says, hey, Paul, get up and go. And he goes. And sometimes God says, pause. It's like Simon says, right? He's, but, and Paul's ready, and he's ready to move, because he's like, this is your assignment. It's your mission. But wherever God has him, he's faithfully ministering, doing the things that God has already called him to do. And so we find Paul on the move. We find him traveling and ministering through Phrygia and Galatia. Tries to go into Asia, God says no. So he says, okay, he won't go into Asia. Tries to go into Bithynia, God says no. So I won't go into Bithynia. So he moves to Troas. Then God directs him to the region of Macedonia through a vision. So he goes there, marches into Philippi, preaches in Philippi. In this little passage, you know, Paul is, he's traveling like hundreds to thousands of kilometers. And he's just preaching wherever he goes, telling everybody about the hope that he has. He's, he's in motion. Paul knew that obedience requires action. Far too often we give ourselves permission to, to sit around and twiddle our thumbs while we, you know, we wait for God to speak. I'm just, I'm just waiting. I'm waiting for clarity, waiting to know what have, he would have me do. And, and I just want to remind you today, he's, he's spoken. Brothers and sisters, he has spoken. You know what he would have you do. His will for your life is not a mystery and you can get moving with that assignment today. You can get moving with that assignment where he has you today. And so, you're in school, you're in high school. Well, you got, there's your mission field. Be faithful in that school. 
your classmates, you might be the only person in their life that has a relationship with Jesus. Who's going to tell them if it's not you? Those teachers, those, those peers on your basketball team, your hockey team, or, or maybe you're a, a professional, right? And so those, you're a police officer. Who's going to tell those officers if it's not you? Or, or you're a tradesman, you know, or you're whatever profession God has you in, you know, he's put you there. And as you do your job faithfully to the glory of God, be looking for opportunities to be making disciples. That's what he would have you do. You're a stay-at-home mom. Well, those kids he's got in your home, you get to give your life to making disciples of those children. And then look out the window. Those people living on your street, go to them. Tell them. Be creative. Just, it's amazing. We're going to see this later on in the story. But these little simple steps of obedience, God uses them to do extraordinary things. And sometimes it's almost like we, we assume that, well, you know, real, real ministry is, is being called out, out as a missionary or, or being called as a pastor. And, and so if, if God ever calls me to do that one day, then I'll do it. But until then, and I just want to say, no, real ministry is being a disciple of Jesus. And he's got real ministry that each and every one of us is to be engaging in every day. Maybe you're retired. You know, what a what an amazing privilege that is. You know, there are very few people in the history of the world that have had the privilege of, of being retired. You have got more time than people in the history of the world ever dreamed of having. What, what are you using that time to accomplish? It's a tremendous privilege to give your life to this mission. You've got good news that brings dead people to life. You should do something with that news. So that's the first thing we see here. It's very simple, but I wanted to make sure we saw that first. Do the things that God has already called you to do. Be faithful where you are. But then second, as you want to follow God's guidance in your ministry, here's the second lesson. Keep moving when he closes the door. See, sometimes God closes the door on us. And maybe you're here. You ever experienced that? It looks like a great opportunity now, sometimes he closes the door on sin, and that's different, right? That makes a lot of sense. It's like, I want to move in with my girlfriend, and God says no. And you go, okay, I understand what he's doing here. But sometimes, you're, you're trying to walk out in obedience. You know, you think, this is a great ministry opportunity. This career is really going to open doors for me to be faithful, to be more generous. This, if we move to this neighborhood, and then God poof, slams the door shut. You ever experienced that? This relationship seems like the right, and the door slams shut. It's hard to, it's hard to know what to do with that. But I want you to see that the Apostle Paul knew exactly what that was like. Look again at verses 6 to 7. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. When they'd come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. It's interesting. If you're an inquisitive person at all, those two verses, they raise some questions, don't they? Like, first of all, for me, I would like to know, as I'm trying to follow God's direction, as I think about Redeemer and what's next, I would like to know how Jesus forbid him. Like, what was the process? Was it a prophet that came in and said, no, Paul, stop? Or, or because, I mean, Silas is traveling with him. We read elsewhere that Silas was a prophet, so maybe that was it. Or did God give him a vision, kind of like what he did when he called him to Macedonia? Is that what happened? Or did he, like, rend open the heavens and say, Paul, stop? Or what, we don't know. Luke does not tell us how this happened. And I think that was intentional. I think that was intentional because God has a thousand different ways to close the door on where we might go. And we see this in the Apostle Paul's life. 
So for example, in his first missionary journey, one time Paul was trying to move forward and God closed the door with a sickness. We see this in Galatians 4.13 where Paul writes to them and he says, you know, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. Meaning I was just a passing through. And then I got terribly sick. And then I had to stay. And it was through that that, I, that Paul was able to minister to the Galatians the first go around. So sometimes God uses an ailment. Other times we see in Paul's life, sometimes God uses a mob in the city to slam a door shut. He slammed that door shut pretty hard a couple times, didn't he? Sometimes he uses the temple police to slam a door shut. Sometimes he sends a storm when you're on a ship and you get a shipwreck and that slams the door shut pretty quickly. Right? The, the Apostle Paul faced a lot of closed doors in a variety of ways, which is why I think G. Campbell Morgan is right when he says, here's the revelation of the fact that the Spirit guides, not by flaming visions always, sometimes, not by words articulate in human ears, but by circumstances, by commonplace things, by difficult things, by dark things, by disappointing things. The Spirit guides and molds and fashions the pathway. I guess what I, would, what I want you to see today is that those moments when the door slammed shut and it felt like you had just missed this glorious opportunity, I just want you to see today that God was working. Sometimes we can just be so terribly discouraged. And, uh, and we find ourselves wrestling with it. Like, well, what was wrong? Is the problem me? Is the pro- like, what, how can I trust myself? This the whole thing was a big disaster. Listen, this is what God does. He closes doors sometimes. He does. He closes doors on seemingly wonderful opportunities because he knows what's best. I remember uh, when I was coming out of high school, initially when I came out of high school, what I wanted to do was I wanted to do something with music. And at the time, I was very excited about this Hillsong band. And so I was going to go to Australia and study at Hillsong. My wife, uh, she wasn't my wife at the time, my girlfriend. I don't even know if she was my girlfriend at the time, if I'm being honest. But she was going to go to Australia too. She got a job to be a nanny. We were going to, everything was lined up. And then it was just at the time when the, the numbers were about to get crunched. We were going to have to make payments. And my car broke down. And it didn't just break down, like it broke down. The mechanic came back with the bill and it just devastated me because it changed everything. Suddenly that door was slammed shut. We had to cancel the plans. We couldn't go to Australia. I got stuck living in Stainer with my parents, working at Subway and Tholos and the Good Life Gym. And I and it just had this year of my life that felt like an enormous waste of a year. And at the time, if you were to say, hey, was this a good thing? I would say no. And if you were to ask, hey, was God behind this? I would say no. Because I didn't, I didn't feel any of that. I didn't see any of that. Now, as I look at back in hindsight, I realized that that was what led me here. And I look at, at this Hillsong movement that wound up turning into a big scandal with corruption and stuff, and I see how God actually really spared my life. He spared me from what I thought was a wonderful opportunity through this very expensive car repair. That was the leading of Jesus in my life. It didn't feel like it at the time, but it was. Now, it's not always as easy to discern why God closed the door, which is another question that I think this text asks. It's like, why did God close the door here? The Apostle Paul, he's looking at Asia, and this isn't the continent of Asia. It's a region in the Mediterranean world. Think of the city of Ephesus. That's in the region of Asia. So he's looking at this region, and he's thinking, there are 
thousands and thousands of lost people in this region who haven't heard about Jesus. This is a good opportunity. And Paul's like, I'm going to go. And, then I'll, and God forbids him. Like, he forbids him from going. And you gotta, Paul's probably wondering, like, why? What on earth? Now, Paul didn't know that on his third missionary journey, God would send Paul to Ephesus. And he would, he would do powerful things through him. So God knew that the timing's not right. But Paul didn't know that at the time. So then he's like, I'm going to go into Bithynia. And God slams the door shut again. Two shut doors in a row. You ever have that happen? Paul's probably wondering, maybe I'm not an apostle anymore. Maybe, just, maybe he just wants me to quit. So he tries to get into Bithynia. God slams the door shut. And he never lets Paul go to Bithynia. Never lets him go. Now, little did Paul know that God had someone else who was going to work in Bithynia. In fact, 1 Peter, when you look at who he addressed that letter to, it says this, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in where? Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter was writing this letter to Christians in Bithynia. Why? Because somebody went to Bithynia and brought the gospel. And God knew that somebody was going to go evangelize Bithynia. And God, God knew that it wasn't going to be Paul. That wasn't his assignment. So God closed the door. And it's not because he didn't love those people, but it's because he had something else for Paul. We're reminded here that God closes the door on good opportunities so as to move us to better opportunities. He didn't want Paul in Asia just yet. He didn't want Paul in Bithynia. He had other assignments. And so has God closed some doors in your life? Maybe just recently he's closing doors in your life. Maybe some sickness kept you from enrolling in that school or, or some relationship was shut down. And it, maybe God has closed some doors in your life that you were really, really excited about and it feels awful. And maybe you've even heard the advice, when God closes the door, you break through the window. I just want to tell you that's terrible advice. You know why? Because the God who closed the door knows better than you. And he's going to lock up that window too, right? When God closes the door... As painful as it might be, thank him and move on. Because he sees the big picture and you don't. And he sees all the moving pieces and you don't. He sees the future, you don't. So follow him and trust him. It might not feel good today, but it is good because he is good. And he loves you. The no that you hear today is paving the way for a better yes coming tomorrow. That doesn't mean it's going to be easier yes, Paul had lots of really hard stuff, but a more fruitful yes. A yes that's going to further you in this assignment that you've been entrusted with. So keep moving if he closes the door. That leads us to our third lesson. If we want to follow God's guidance in ministry, then seek counsel when discerning direction. I want to make sure I show you where I see this. This is in verses 9 to 10. Look closely. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we... Pause there. This is interesting. That's the first time in the narrative of Acts that, that we has been used, which suggests that Luke, who writes Acts, this is where Luke actually joins Paul in the journey. Luke was in Troas, and now Luke has joined Silas and Timothy and Paul and anybody else who was with them. Paul received a vision, and then it says, and immediately we, let me find my space, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That verb for concluding, it's not in the singular. 
Meaning Paul didn't receive the vision and then singular Paul concluded. No, Paul received the vision and then immediately we, the whole group, concluding, plural, all of us, that God was calling us forward. And I want you to see that because, remember, this is the Apostle Paul. He's got authority. He could, he could have easily come down and said, I got a vision, pack your bags, we're going. But instead he came and he said, I have a vision, and he shared it with the group. And the group concluded that God would have them move forward. That's important. Be wary of the person. And I, truly, be wary of the person who declares to you, God has spoken. He has revealed to me that we are to do X. And then just says, pack your bags, let's go. Be wary of that person. Instead, when we, when we think we've received a word from the Lord, when we think we've received direction, we need to seek godly counsel. We need to humbly lay that before one another. There's a famous story of Charles Spurgeon. He's uh, at his church, preaching on a Sunday. And then some, a man came to him, a visitor from another town, came to him after the service and said, uh, Mr. Spurgeon, the Lord has told me that I am to preach from that pulpit this Thursday. And, and Charles Spurgeon responded to him and he said, that's a curious thing because I would have expected that the Holy Spirit would have told me that as well. And he didn't preach from that pulpit on Thursday, but, but this man expected that. Well, I've received this vision and so we're going to go. But the reality is that discernment is a team sport. It's a team sport. And we see this all over the New Testament in case you think we're drawing this from this one passage. We see the same thing with, with words of prophecy, so in the, in the letter to the Corinthians, you've got this, this gift of prophecy that's happening in the church, and just listen to the way that it's being used. The Apostle Paul explains, let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. So, so share that word from the Lord that you have, but then we as a people, with the word of God open, we're going to weigh what is said. We're going to discern whether or not this is something that is valid or something that should be discarded. Listen, sometimes a, a dream is from the Lord. Sometimes a dream is from the bad pizza that you ate the night before. And it's important in team to discern which is which. Sometimes God just speaks to you and through you, and it's, and it's him, and he's moving, and he's leading. Sometimes you think it's God speaking to you, and it's actually a demon whispering in your ear. First John says that. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. So we discern in team. Now, this can go so terribly wrong um, when we lose sight of this. I'll share this example. There, there's a young man somewhere out there in the world who um, just emailing our church email account. He doesn't live here, but he's emailed, and, and I'm getting these emails very frequently through the week because there's a, a YouTuber who is prophesying that there are terrorist cells planning an attack, and they live near where this young man lives. So he found this YouTube video, and he is now ready to, to pack up and move to a place where he has no job lined up, no home lined up. It's going to put him in a terrible position, but he feels so convinced because he's seen this YouTube clip. Now, the person making the YouTube clip, I'm going to guess didn't realize that they, they could really ruin people's lives with their recklessness and their carelessness. But that's what's happening. And I'm just telling this, this young man, please, just, just wait. That's not, how, that's not how it works. These things should happen in the context of a church where there can be discernment, where there can be a plurality of people weighing what is said, led by the Spirit. That lone voice on the internet is dangerous. And don't be making life-altering decisions because of that lone voice. Don't do it. Don't do it. Here's a simple application for us today. 
Maybe you feel God is calling you to a, something new, some new chapter. I, I would just encourage you, just pause for a moment, invite some brothers and sisters into that discernment process. Ask them to pray with you. Ask them what they're seeing. Ask them if they're feeling that same prompting from the Spirit. It, God is sovereign. He's in control. If he's made it clear to you, he can make it clear to them as well. Particularly young people, if I could just speak to you for a moment, you're in a season of life where you're, you're thinking about, you know, where do I go to school? Who, who do I marry? What's the career? You're making some really big decisions in your life. And those of us who are older than you, we've been there. We remember how frightening that can feel and how many options are open. If I could just encourage you, there's a room full of people here who would love to pray with you and process with you as you feel that prompting and that leading. We'd love to do that with you. I remember being in Bible college. There were, a couple, there were a couple young guys in school with me. And very clearly, they were there because they didn't know what else to do, but they loved drinking pop out of a sock in youth group. And they thought, if I could make a career out of that. And so they were there. But it took them all of two days to realize, I'm not interested in the Bible. I don't like the church. Why am I here? And $10,000 later, they, they pack up and they go home. And you could have saved that $10,000 with one conversation in your local church because somebody would have spotted that. Right? Discern in team. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, plans fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. Even the Apostle Paul, and here's where I want you to see in the text, even the Apostle Paul, with all of his authority, all of, all of his history of being led by the Lord, even he brought that vision to the group. And the group concluded that this is what's next. Now that brings us to our fourth and final lesson from this passage. As you seek to follow God's guidance in ministry, trust that he will use ordinary means to do extraordinary things. So, Lost in the mix, as you read through this text, lost in the mix of, of the closed doors and the miraculous visions and the incredible travel and all, like he's going so, he's going everywhere, but lost behind all of that is that the mission that he engages with, the assignment he engages with is remarkably ordinary. Look again at verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. So where they thought they would find some people we could speak to. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. So that's, that's the approach. Paul told Paul to travel. God told Paul to travel to Macedonia. And so they went to Macedonia and they traveled and, and they got into the city and they waited for the Sabbath. That was the day when, remember, Paul always goes to the Jews first because they are the people who have been studying the scriptures. They are those who he believes are, are most prepared to recognize the Messiah who has come. And he always goes to the synagogue. But here in this city, he doesn't go to a synagogue. He goes to the river. Now, why might that be? One commentator explains, in Jewish law, a congregation was made up of 10 men. Wherever there were 10 male heads of households who could be in regular attendance, a synagogue was to be formed. Failing this, a place of prayer under the open sky and near a river or the sea was to be arranged for. Meaning, Paul goes to the river because there aren't ten heads of households in the Jewish community. There is no synagogue here. So he goes to the river to see who he can find, and he finds there a small band of women praying together. Now, you've got to understand that in, in the, the Jewish circle at the time, there was a, there was a real discrimination against women. It was a common saying, not a biblical saying, but a common saying 
Um, I thank God that I am not a Gentile or a woman. That kind of gives you an indication of the heart disposition. But here's Paul. He's, he's traveled 400 plus kilometers. God has closed the door on that exciting opportunity in Asia. Oh, I wanted to go. Oh, Bithynia. Nope. God closes the door. God brings him all the way here. And 400 plus kilometers later, he, he marches out into the city to see, well, what's this mission field that God has for me? What is this assignment that's so important that he closed all these doors? And he comes to the river and he finds this small group of women. And the Apostle Paul, who has preached to packed synagogues, who has preached to city streets that are, are overflowing with mobs. He, he looks at this small Jewish Bible study, essentially. And, and it would have been easy, you know, an outsider looking in might say, well, what a waste. You made the wrong decision, Paul. You should have kicked the door. You should have broke through the window over on that opportunity, Paul. This is such a small mission field. But he, he opens his mouth and he begins to minister to these women who are gathered. Because God doesn't think the way that we think. He brought the most gifted teacher and evangelist on the planet at that time, the Apostle Paul. He brought him 400 plus kilometers because he had a plan for that group. In particular, because he had a plan for one woman in that group. The text says, One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. I, every week as you study, obviously the whole text grips you, but every week I find there's one detail in the passage that particularly just grabs hold of, of my heart. And, and this week it was this detail. And at one point I actually thought about cutting out verses 11 to 15 and just dealing with that next week. But I thought, no, I want you to see that all of that stuff about discerning God's guidance, all that stuff about following where God leads, I want you to see where it leads here. There's a person at the end of this guidance, a woman named Lydia, a person that Jesus is pursuing. And he brings Paul through this whole ordeal for her. He closes doors in Asia. He closes doors uh, in Bithynia for, for this, this woman here. There's a person at the end of this guidance. The good shepherd leaves the 99 to find the one. That's what he did when he was walking this earth with us, and that's what he does now as his spirit guides and directs his church. And Lydia, this woman, this unsuspecting woman, the text tells us she was a God-fearer, which means that she wasn't a Jew. She was a Gentile who had been exposed to the Jewish scriptures and who, who was interested, who was leaning in. She, she loves this Jewish God, even though she's not a Jew herself. So she finds herself in this Jewish gathering, this non-Jewish woman, and in comes this visitor out of nowhere, and he opens the, the text, and he points her to Jesus, and suddenly God opens her eyes, and everything changes for this woman. The story concludes, and after she was baptized, her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you've judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Paul comes past all these exciting opportunities and he, he preaches the gospel to this one little group of women. And within this little group of women, there's this, this one woman named Lydia. And, and God says, ah, this, this is the plan. And he opens her heart. And then she goes home and he opens the heart of her family. And then that home becomes the, the home of operations for the church in Philippi. And from that home, the, the city is transformed. The church grows. The, the gospel absolutely moves in the place. And it all starts with this one act of obedience. And this one woman in this Bible study 
G. Campbell Morgan says, the opened heart of one woman in a great city is foothold for God. And if it but be yielded to him from that vantage ground, from that base of operations, he can proceed to wonderful victories. And so I want to challenge you this morning. I want to challenge you because I'm looking out at this room, and again, I suspect in this room, God is closing doors in lots of your lives. He's done it in the past. Maybe he's doing it in the present. Doors are closing, and maybe you're getting frustrated. Maybe you're discouraged. You're trying to figure out what he would, what is he, what is the purpose? And sometimes the life that you're living feels so ordinary, and it feels so boring, and you're, you're looking at what other people are doing, and, and there's covet, covetousness coming up in your heart. Like, I want to do that. I want to go on that adventure. And you look at this thing in front of you, and you go, oh, oh, anything else, Lord. I want to challenge you. Is it possible that just maybe God closed all those doors and led you to that place? Because maybe, just maybe, there might be a Lydia on your street, a Lydia in your workplace, a Lydia in that classroom, someone who is, who is sitting there and God is ready to open her heart and open her eyes and change her life and he's just waiting for that one step of obedience for you to open your mouth and share the hope that you have. Is it possible that that's why God has you there? That all those other exciting opportunities that you were so thrilled about, that God says actually there's something far more exciting and it's that one person in your world. What a tragedy it would have been if the Apostle Paul had found himself, walked up to this small group and said, are you joking? I'm the Apostle Paul. Don't you know, I've preached to thousands. I'm not going to waste my time with this this group of of nobodies. Not even enough of you here for a synagogue. I'm moving on. I've got bigger things to do. That would be a tragedy if the Apostle Paul overlooked the mission field that was right in front of him. God did incredible things in Philippi. It would have been tragic if Paul just said, oh, forget this. And I'll tell you, I suspect that there are many tragedies that are working themselves out in our own lives. All the times that you and I overlook the mission field that's right in front of us. As, we, as we're thinking about all oh, this big adventure that we want to have, and we're closing our eyes to this adventure that God has put right in front of us. All the assignments that we want to have, and we're closing our eyes to the assignment that's right in front of us. Classrooms full of children who want to hear the Bible preached. Who want to hear about Jesus. Is that opportunity beneath us? People on your street who've never heard the gospel. They don't even know you're a Christian. Is that opportunity beneath you? People in your workplace. People in your classroom. People in your extended family. Those those little kids in your house they call you mom and dad. and Is that beneath you? You've, been, you've got an assignment. You've got an assignment. And God's given you all this time. And all these opportunities. He's closed all of these doors. He's put you in this spot. And, it, and it's right back to the garden. When we're looking past what's in front of us. And saying I'd be happier if I had that. Right? Isn't that the sin at the very beginning? And yet we do that don't we? If I could just, if I could just do that. And so we're waiting. Our whole life is just waiting, waiting for that. When God says, forget that. Other people are going to do that. And maybe someday I'll put you there. But right now, I've given you this. I've given you this. You won't know until you take that ordinary step of obedience. You won't know until you trust God to do extraordinary things with that ordinary step. And I know that ordinary step can feel like the, the scariest thing. I, I spoke to somebody this week, and they just told me about how they had the privilege of just sharing the gospel with someone, and it required some scary, ordinary steps. 
But they said when they pressed through, by God's grace, they had the courage, they pressed through, and they were able to share the gospel. They were able to lead this person to the Lord. And, they, and they'll tell you, it was the greatest joy they've ever experienced in your life. Some of you maybe have already heard that story. I'll leave it to that person to share it with you. But anyone here, if you've ever had the privilege of leading someone to the Lord, you know there is nothing else like it. Why? Because this is the overarching assignment of my life. Before I'm a father, before I'm a husband, before I'm a carpenter, before I'm a whatever, I am a follower of Jesus who's been called to make disciples. And everything else falls in subjugation to that assignment. Everything else. And as I close today, I just want to take one moment and speak to anyone in this room who maybe you find yourself on the other side of this equation. Maybe you're a Lydia. See, God closed all these doors for Paul. He sent visions, moved him kilometers. He, he, God orchestrated all of these things because he was pursuing this woman. There were other women in the group. And as the gospel went forth, for, for a bunch of them, they were dozing off. They, you know, they weren't, but, but for this one woman, God was doing something in her heart and he, he changed everything and she could feel it that something was changing, and maybe, just maybe, that's you today. And God has closed doors in your life. God has led you to this place on this morning, and he's led the rest of us here too, and God has, has positioned you so that you would hear the call, the invitation, because Jesus leaves the 99 to find the one, and he's coming for you. And, and maybe, just maybe today, for the first time, he's opening your eyes to see, to see him to see this glorious, holy, majestic God who is overflowing in love. To see yourself accurately for the first time. To see that you were made in the image of God. And, you know, you're not an accident. You're not some cosmic mistake. This wasn't just some, some roll of the dice that was, was turned out in our chance. No, you were made in the image of God, but, and maybe he's helping you to see today that there's a problem. There's a problem in you. Something's broken, and you feel it. The Bible says that is sin. The Bible says that all of us are born into sin. All of us commit sin. We perpetuate sin. There's something broken in the world and something broken in us. And so even though we're made in the image of God, and we can sense that there's something beautiful, there's also this tragedy, this sin that's ruining everything. Did you know that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life? You know, God made a plan to deal with that sin. He made a plan to bring you home, to bring Lydia home, to bring Paul home, to bring me home. He sent his son, his perfectly obedient son, Jesus. And Jesus lived that life that we couldn't live. He lived the life as the perfect image bearer of God in this world. And then Jesus went to the cross. We're going to celebrate communion today. The cross is where Jesus died. He died for sin. But Jesus never sinned. So whose sin did he die for? God sent his son to die for the sins of all of those who would put their trust in Jesus. This is the lifeline. And today, you don't need to, you don't need to go home and work your way into this. You don't need to like, try and balance out the scale of your life. Maybe your life is such a mess that you think, there's no way I could ever balance the scale. Can I just tell you something glorious? Jesus balanced the scale. What you do today is you don't, you don't go home and work harder. What you do today is you confess your sin to the Lord. You say, God, I see it. I don't, I don't even understand all of it, but I see that you're holy and I see that I'm not. I see that I am a sinner. I see that I, I need help. 
And then you look to Jesus on the cross and you say, and I believe that he died for me. I believe that he took my sin. I believe that when he went to the cross, I could be forgiven. And did you know when you do that, when you put your trust in Jesus, you confess your sin, what God does is he takes all of that sin off of you in an instant. doesn't make you work for it. He takes all of that sin off of you and he puts it on the cross where Jesus pays for it in full. That's why it's so beautiful when Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. It's done. It's finished. It's paid for. It's removed. As far as the east is from the west, it's gone. If you confess your sin and place your trust in Jesus today, you can be forgiven and everything can change. Now, there's a lot of growth that happens on the other side of that. He takes your sin and he puts it on the cross, but then you know what he does? He takes his Holy Spirit and he puts him into you. And suddenly, you're a temple of the living God. And the Holy Spirit is changing you from the inside out. And you start to want different things. And you start to hate different things. The sin that used to bring you delight, all of a sudden, it's repulsive. Because you see that it's not the way it should be. And the God who you used to hide from, suddenly you want more and more of him. He changes you to look more and more like the image bearer of God that you were made to be. He puts you in a family, like what we were celebrating today with our brothers and sisters. Puts you in a family where you can walk together and grow together, and learn together. Gives you a heart that wants to hear from him and know him more. And maybe, just maybe, today, God is doing that in one of your hearts. And to that end, I want to I invite you to pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. God of, of heaven and earth, you made us, and, and we live for you. Lord, we confess our sin, God, we confess that every one of us in this room, even though we were made by you and for you, we're so tempted to live for lesser things. Lord, to give our lives to lesser things. Lord, not only that, we're, we're tempted to obey you, to do things that we know are wrong. Lord, and, and we've done that. And we've seen how, Lord, that, is, that has hurt others. We've seen how that has hurt ourselves Lord, and oftentimes we never, we fail to see the way that, Lord, it dishonors you. We sinned against you. God, I thank you that you have made a way for sinners like Lydia and like Paul and and like me and like my brothers and sisters in this room. You've made a way for sinners to come home. You sent your son so that we could receive this gift that we could never earn for ourselves. God, and I pray in Jesus' name that today would be a day when that gift would be received in faith someone in this room. Lord, someone who you led to this place for this time. God, I pray that this would not be something that is stirred up in emotion. Lord, I pray that this wouldn't be some passing fad, but Lord, I pray that as the seed of the gospel lands in hearts right now, that you would bring real resurrection life into people in this room. And Lord, for those who have put their trust in Jesus, Lord, today as we come back to the Lord's Supper, I pray that you would refresh us and renew us and refocus us. God, we confess that every one of us in this room confesses, Lord, that we have not lived on mission the way that we should. None of us has done this perfectly. Lord, all of us have taken our eyes off of the assignment. Lord, all of us have filled our schedules up with distractions to to lesser and, and greater extents. But God, I pray that today, by your Spirit, that you would bring just a true conviction, a true repentance. And Lord, I pray especially that you would just break our hearts for those all around us, Lord, who are perishing in their sin. And how will they hear unless someone preaches to them? God, you have given us this 
tremendous assignment. Lord, forgive us for all the times that, Lord, we've neglected it. I pray that you'd fill us with courage and love and faith and send us out into the world. And Lord, to that end, as we return to the table today, as we're refreshed again today and reminded of the, the height and the depth of your love for us, God, I pray that that love would overflow from us out into the world around us. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty, saving name. And everyone said, amen. Worship team, would you lead us?